Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. And with me, alongside me today, is Ryan Patty from Rutgers Rivals and NJ.com. Ryan, how are we doing today? Thanks for coming on. Doing good, Blaine. Thanks for having me. I like how you're having all your old uh, SHU friends on. And now I'm next in line. I appreciate that. And excited to talk some college football with you today. Of course, man. It's always a pleasure having you on. Um, just before we get started, I just want to say, everyone, go out, go out and please vote. Uh, I voted on Saturday. Ryan actually went out and voted this morning. Uh, it's a big day today, day of the election, so please go out and vote. Um, but without further ado, we're going to touch upon some college football. First, we got to talk about uh, Ryan Patty's Rutgers, <laughs> Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, they ended up falling 37-21 to 21 to the Indiana Hoosiers this past Saturday. A little bizarre moment that happened within the game was a, on a fourth and uh, fourth and 20 plus, they <laughs> pulled off an eight lateral miracle touchdown that ended up being called back for a, a suspect uh, forward lateral call. But Rutgers one and one, Indiana, who was ranked top 20 in the country, is now two and zero, oh, potentially the one of the only real last contenders in the for the Big Ten championship. Um, Ryan, I just want you to get, get your opinion here on how Rutgers looked and uh, the overall impact of the game. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And by the way, we're going to talk about the, uh, the lateral first. There was no conclusive evidence that that uh, lateral from Shameen Jones, like you couldn't tell. It looked like it was just like straight across the 36-yard line. I didn't think it was forward. So, I mean, there was no like conclusive evidence, but they saw him catch it at like the 36, 36 and a half. So they're like, oh, like it might have been forward, but – there was the Indiana player right in the way, so I didn't think so. But, uh, you know, they, they hung around in there. If there were a couple, you know, different decisions Shiano made, I think they would have, you know, kept it even closer. But uh, a lot of the recruits are, are still very optimistic with this team that I talked to. Uh, as you know, I cover the recruiting end uh, for, for Rutgers Rivals. And uh, I feel like, you know, the, the recruits are, are, are pretty – they're buying into Shiano, you know. You know, they didn't get the result they wanted last week, but – uh, the week one win over Michigan State, I mean, they caused seven turnovers and, and, and a Michigan State's a rebuilding team. You know, the Antonio news during the offseason shocked everyone. And, and you know, it's going to you know take maybe a year or two for them to recover under Mel Tucker. Tucker's still a good coach, but it's going to take some time for them to figure it out. The recruits are, are very optimistic. Everyone's optimistic. They had to hire Shiano. They were talking Butch Jones and, and Moorhead. You, could, you had to go back to Shiano. Uh, and it's showing. So, uh, the old regime would have gotten crushed on Saturday, crushed. Uh, but they hung in, and, and you know, you, you should be optimistic if you're, uh, you're a Rutgers fan. I couldn't agree more, especially with um, just the, the, the almost the suspense that she, having Shiano back, it brings a lot of life back into Rutgers football that you feel like was extremely diminished, uh, especially in the last regime on, uh, under Ash and et cetera. And – he has that winning formula. He had, he's done it before there at the program. I feel like that's a huge uh, bonus and repertoire that he's able to especially unfold with uh, the new recruits that, hey, we're going to go back to our winning ways, and I feel like that's his, one of his bigger recruiting points. Is that, is that how you see it? Yeah, you know, I think the big thing with him is he understands New Jersey. He knows that there's a lot of talent in New Jersey. It's not to the level of California or Texas or Florida. But the top kids, I think, are, are as good as those kids in those states. And, you know, 
back in, in 2011, 2012, he was reeling in all the Don Bosco kids. I know you're from California, but I assume you're a little familiar with the, the top high schools around yeah. here, Burton Catholic, Don Bosco. You know, he was reeling in all those kids. And, you know, I don't know if he's quite there yet, but he, it's, it's getting back to, to where those kids are starting to believe. And it's huge. It's, it's what got them those wins back in the day, those big wins, the ones over Louisville and, and you name it. But they're getting back to there. And it's going to take a little bit more time, but that's his whole thing. He understands New Jersey. Coach Ash didn't even offer Kenny Pickett. Coach Flood didn't even offer Maurice French. Those are two kids so close to your school who go on and, and, and they're, you know, one of the best players in their conference. And then Kenny Pickett's one of the best arms in the country right now. So I think Shiano just having that Jersey understanding is huge moving forward. Excellent. Especially with the Rutgers now, like, they have Ohio State this week, of course, which is going to be an extremely tough task. But I think the rest of the schedule is very gettable, don't you agree? Yeah, I think so, especially when you look at, like, Penn State and how, how they're struggling to begin the season. I mean, you didn't expect them to win last week, but their week one game, uh, I mean, I was, I was stunned. A little controversial at the end. I, I think the ball might have bounced into the pylon um, on that two-point conversion. It's, it's but, very close. Uh, yeah, it was not conclusive because uh, the call on the field was that he got in. So you couldn't fully tell if he did get in. So Penn State, their, their start's surprising. We'll see what happens with Wisconsin, and hopefully they can get healthy and, and get on the field. And um, in, in Indiana, I mean, obviously Penn, Penn State already played them, but Penn, Penn State struggling. You know, Indiana might be the only, the only team that, that can, can contest Ohio State right now, I really think. It's, it's crazy saying that. You look at the step back that I was taking a little bit. and. Mm-hmm. It's all Ohio State right now, which is which is not what we're used to in, in the Big Ten. Yeah, and you can almost assume they have, they usually have some from competition. Yeah, and especially I have Rutgers schedules pulled up here. After Ohio State, you have Illinois, a very very winnable game there. Then you have Michigan at home, which is also a gettable game. We're going to touch upon Michigan and what happened this past weekend, and and their little debacle, especially with um after being so flu- uh, dominant in week one for them. And then you have Purdue, a, a very good Purdue team, I think, that is flying under the radar at the moment, especially with Rondale Moore being in and out at the moment, still being 2-0. and And then you have Penn State, and then you have Maryland. That's also a very gettable game. They could easily, after Ohio State, potentially go 3-2 and or 4-1 and in those last five. I, I feel like they've got a really good chance – I just had, want to get your opinion on uh, Noah Vedral. Is it Vedral? i make sure I say it right. Vedral. Vedral, yeah. Noah Vedral. Just because he, I feel like he, he showed, he's shown moments so far this year, but I feel like he still has that turnover bug that he's trying to get over with from last year. Right. Yeah, you know, I think that, I think that he's the guy. I'm a, I'm a believer in Art Sikowski as well. I think he, he's a type of kid who will develop under Shiano, but – you know, you brought in Vegetal. He has that experience, you know, grad transfer coming in from Nebraska. He's got Big Ten, a lot of Big Ten experience. So I think he's the guy. I think you got to stay with him. And, and you know, he, he managed the game pretty well against Michigan, uh, Michigan State and showed some, you know, ability to make plays with his legs. And, and you know, last week, obviously, you know, you'd like to have some of the turnovers he made back, but uh, he kept them in the game late. You know, they almost made a little comeback there at the end. But, um I think he's your guy moving forward. I think, like you said, there's some winnable games out there, and he's going to play well in a couple of those games. And, and this is a team that, that's still committed to running the football. You know, Isaiah Pacheco, Aaron Young, those are two pretty good backs there. And they're going to stay committed to running the ball. And 
they're going to lean on their defense. Obviously, their defense is the strongest part of their team, I think. Uh, absolutely, especially they're forcing tons of turnovers. Seven turnovers in one game is pretty absurd, especially when they played Michigan State. And then they're relatively dumb. They were relatively strong against Indiana as well. And it took it was a couple big plays by uh, Michael Penix that ended up probably being the difference. Um, but let's transition now, to especially to – we were going to touch upon Michigan. Uh, Michigan State, who was – had those seven turnovers, ended up coming into, and into Ann Arbor this past Saturday and pulling off a 27-24 victory over the Wolverines, especially after Michigan on a high, dominating Minnesota on the road, winning 49-24. I feel like what – what are we getting here from Harbaugh, Brian? I just, I just feel like it's, he's been such a – Swinger miss in those big games. He's now one and six at home against Michigan State or Ohio State, which is if you can't even beat your in-state rival or win that those two rivalry games, I don't know how you still have a job, especially at a pristine uh, university and program football program like Michigan with all the history. Like if you can't beat your rival, why why is he still there? It's tough because he like with Harbaugh, he's like good but not great, and. You know, I feel the same kind of way about, about Brian Kelly and a couple other coaches. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really unbelievable how they lost to Michigan State. You know, you finally feel like they have a quarterback. You finally feel like this is the year where they can, you know, make a push and, and contest. You know, there's no fans in the crowd. Like, there's so many things that can play into, hey, this, this could finally be what gets it done for Michigan. And there they go, and they drop the game to Michigan State. I mean, and, and any Michigan State team you can beat, it's this one. Antonio's not even there anymore, and it's really crazy how they lost last week. But uh, And like you mentioned, you know, they, they blew out Minnesota in week one, and you were like, wow, like this Michigan offense can do it. And there they go. They lay an egg against Michigan State. Total, total collapse there. And, and you kind of wonder what the future holds for Harbaugh. He's going to have a lot of NFL suitors, and, you know, this is the type of loss where it's like, hey, can I, can I really ever do it if I, if I couldn't do it this year? So uh, we'll see what happens, but just a real clunker from, from Michigan. Do you feel like they've lost a little bit of their identity? Like, Milton, like Joe Milton threw the ball 51 times on Saturday. Like that is not what I imagine in a horrible system. I remember Stanford, San Francisco, being a West Coast guy, you're lining up six or seven linemen, and you're running it down their throat. And they've got a – a plethora of running backs, of quality running backs that could end up just take the air and take the will out of another, out of like a Michigan State or another team, especially in this, in the Big Ten. Do you feel like he's become too reliant now on trying to uh, be a team that he's not trying to try these too many different, different offensive schemes? Uh, What do you think there? Yeah, it's weird seeing him kind of abandon the run game a little bit, but, you know, Milton's a good quarterback, and I think he, he has confidence in him. He's Maybe he thinks that throwing the ball is what's going to get it done, and, and you know, with Milton, you can do it, but I, like I said, I'm just really – I'm really stunned. I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, what kind of hope do you have after, after last week? I mean, that's just a, a punch in the gut. It really is. Yeah, and – I feel like that was just like a, a disparity of the two teams. Like Tucker, he kept that – he maintained his running game, whether or not it was working or not. Like throughout those those one or two-yard carries that he was getting that turned into four or five in the fourth quarter. Like he, he – like the Michigan State squad kept that run game as a paramount part. 
And Lomb Rocky Lombardi was not – I mean, his he only completed a little over 50% of his passes when he made the critical throw that was needed. And I feel like Milton was in, unable to do that. So I feel like just in comparison there that there was a, a tale of two teams. Like, you thought Michigan was on a – on a rise, you thought Michigan State – you know Michigan State's in a rebuild. Try, Mel Tucker's trying to get his kids to buy into what he's trying to preach after coming over from Colorado. But it, it almost seemed like that as soon as the game – as soon as the score was at halftime and Michigan State had a chance, you almost felt like that they were going to somehow squeak it out, especially with just how Michigan struggles in close games. And I feel like we learned a lot as well about them, even though they blew out Minnesota. We learned a lot about Minnesota, though, too, especially losing to Maryland in overtime on Friday, uh, this past Friday night. So, so what do you think about Michigan State's uh, future here? Yeah, you know, you mentioned the uh, staying committed to the run, and, and I think what you were trying to say is that, like, that's usually what Harbaugh does. You know, it was kind of they switched the two game plans. And I think what made, me, made Michigan State do that was, was how bad they protected Lombardi last week. I mean, so many forced fumbles there by Rutgers. And, and every time they drop back, if you're a Michigan State fan, you, you felt worried. Like, they can't block, you know. You know these kids are dropping balls. They're fumbling. And, and I feel like that's what made Michigan State say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to put the ball in the air a little less this week, and we're going to run the ball and, and keep Michigan's offense off the field. And that's, that's what I think got it done. But uh, it was, overall, it was just a really bad collapse for Michigan, and, and I think that Michigan State, you know, rebuild-wise, you know, it's going to start coming along, and, and, you know, wins like that are definitely going to get recruits to stay on board because week one definitely had some kids cringing and wondering, hey, am I making the right decision coming here? And uh, I think this win definitely backed it up. You know, this, this Michigan State team's not going not gonna to lay down. I, I agree. They're going to – I feel like that one thing that Mel Tucker brought over from Colorado, like – and especially in that Rutgers game, they, they'll play. They'll play hard till the final whistle. They're playing for them, which I think is a huge component, especially in a rebuild, trying to get your kids to buy in. So I feel like that Rutgers game definitely have, – just having them try and be, stay and be competitive helped them carry over that momentum into the Michigan game. But lastly, we're going to transition to the, the team that probably is the only chance for the playoff in the Big Ten, which is Ohio State. And they looked – they were – really dominant against Penn State. I mean, this, this 38-25 score is way, does not indicate how that game actually went. Ohio State was dominant throughout. I feel like there was that little questionable call at halftime with putting oh, time on oh, the clock. That, was, that wasn't even questionable. That was just oh, like – what... The clock, that, they did not start that clock. There was just no chance. Like, he stood there for two seconds. And oh, yeah, easily. And then they scored that touchdown, and you're at the end of the at right when the third quarter opens up, and oh, you're like maybe we have a game here, but it it never really felt like there was a game. And Justin Fields has opened up dominant. What do you go for? He went for 28 of 34, 318, four touchdowns. Chris Olave ended up having seven catches, 120 yards, two TDs. I feel like this was more of a just a sense that. How the Big Ten, this especially these past couple of weeks, have just shown that it's just going to be Ohio State or bust for them for if they want to have any chance of making the playoff. Right. You yeah, know, it runs through Ohio State, obviously. And, and like we talked about, I'm surprised that the competition's not as good as it has been in previous years when you look at the expectations Michigan had and, and Penn State still had expectations. But, um, yeah, you know, Ohio State is just dominant right now. And, and, I think that Justin Fields put himself 
as the number two guy in this year's draft, like these past two weeks without question. And I mentioned it on Twitter yesterday. Like I was a little skeptical. I mean, you look at guys like Mitch Trubisky and you're like, okay, maybe one year is not enough, you know, film to, to, you know, convince you that he's the guy, you know, that high in the draft, but Fields, Fields has, uh, has proved it hundred percent, you know, these past two weeks, uh, against, against two pretty, pretty quality teams, I'd say that you can go out and, and put up those kind of numbers. I mean, you got to love what you're seeing from, from Justin Fields and from this Ohio State team. Brian Day, he's terrific. I mean, I, I really – I think that, you know, it's tough to replace Urban Meyer, but he's sort of doing it. <laughs> he's that good. Yeah. I just – Ryan, I want to get your opinion here, especially after I, – I agree Fields is definitely the second quarterback off the board. But do you feel like it could be potentially fall into a potential Dwayne Haskins situation again? where the guys on Ohio State are so open and it's those crossing patterns and then those wide receivers are absolute speedsters and they ended up taking a 10-yard pass for 60 or 70 yards. Do you feel like that could be a potential uh, risk for him, especially with, with how the whole Dwayne Haskins situation has uh, unfolded in Washington? It's interesting because, you know, I feel like Fields' skill set is a little different from Haskins. And I also think that the uh, that Washington gave up too quickly on Haskins, but that's that's for another discussion. Uh, I think that Fields is a little different skill set-wise, but it's something you have to put into consideration um, because those quarterbacks, those guys are so wide open. But you could say the same thing about Clemson and, and in the past with USC quarterbacks, but it's something you just got to trust. You got to look at, you know, his production. He's completing passes. I'm not big on completion percentage at all, but – you know, he's, he's keeping drives alive. He's, he's making plays with his legs. I think that Justin Fields is, is number two. And, and you can make the case for, for Lance. I mean, he's, he's a very talented kid as well. But, that showcase uh, was a waste of time, though. Waste of time. There was no point. And he didn't look good in that showcase, to be completely honest. Right, right, right. But yeah, no, I'm a believer in Fields. And, and you should be wary of stuff that you mentioned, like, you know, his receivers being open all the time. And, and maybe this year's competition not being as good as it has been in years past. But. I think he's a real deal, and, and especially after watching last night, if you're the Giants, you got to be thinking about him at, uh, at number two overall. Absolutely. And then especially, like, I feel like both New York teams are going to have a, some decisions to make, especially at the quarterback position. Exactly. And then um, and then we touched upon Penn State a little bit here, but what it – what are you what are you what are you seeing from them that has just been their demise these first two weeks? Is it I feel like it's just a lack of lack of mental toughness, especially in that Indiana game. The running back runs in for the touchdown. Indiana ended up going down to score and force that overtime. And I just feel like they're just a little mentally not there, especially the comparison to with the Ohio State and especially with that botched error in the Indiana game. What are you seeing from them that as alarming, especially with this 0-2 start? Or do you feel like this is just a they – got, they got ruined with two tough teams to start off their year? Well, no, I mean, I think they definitely gave away the first game. And, you know, the running back who ran it in Devin Ford, I had the chance to cover him at a camp. He's a really great kid. I feel bad he kind of had that mental error. That's not something you, you necessarily coach a kid, though. But knowing James Franklin, he's going to, you know, tell those kids, like, the, the situation that, that happened and, and – kind of just the, the knowing and the awareness to, to go down in that, in that situation. It's not something you coach, though, but it's something that Franklin is going to try to find a way to coach uh, so that doesn't happen again. That was a devastating loss, and it kind of 
I'm not going to say it derailed their season, but it's got them off course right now. They're on two. It's not something Penn State's used to, but they're going to turn around. I think I'm not going to say they're going to write the ship, but they're going to win a couple games. They're going to get, you know, back on track mentally, I'd say, and, and figure out a way to, uh, to, to make the most out of this season. That's kind of at least playoff wise already over and Rose Bowl wise. I agree. And then uh, especially with this, uh, Franklin's a great coach. Like, what he's done, done there, and made them a little, made them relevant very, very quickly. He had Barkley, had McSwirley. Uh He's got a quarterback in Clifford. I like, I like Sean Clifford. I think he's got, he's got some talent. I just feel like they just need to figure out the best way. They're running him too much. I feel like is a, is a, one of the components. He's just getting too many carries and taking too many hits. I feel like they need to focus more there. But I think they're going to be okay. They'll figure it out. But I think they they have a good chance of being able to run the table as well. I mean, if especially with the rest of the schedule setting up for them, and they got they got through the two toughest tests. Uh, and then just for the last little Big Ten question, Ryan, what do you think? What's the game? What's the game of the for the year for the rest of the schedule? Is it going to be a Wisconsin Ohio State championship game? Do you think that Ohio State Indiana game? What do you think here? What's what would you go with? I would say it's got to be Ohio State, Wisconsin, because, you know, Wisconsin isn't really healthy right now, obviously, and, and we want to see what they look like. But, I mean, that's that's always the, the matchup you look for, and, and Ohio State might be better than they've been in, in previous years uh, because they get the quarterback back, they get a bunch of other kids back. Um, but I would say it's got to be Ohio State, Wisconsin, you know. Uh, and like we talked about with Penn State, you know, they're going to win a couple games and stuff like that, and they're really not as bad a team as they look right now, you know, they're still going to finish the season only, you know, three or four losses. Um, but it's got to be Ohio State, Wisconsin. I think that's that's the game that everyone's looking at. I, I like Indiana, but I think Ohio State, I mean, it took everything for Indiana to be Penn State. Penn State had the ball for like 41 minutes and yeah, it, it took everything from, from Indiana to win. So I think Ohio State will handle Indiana. Uh, and it's going to come down to that, that last game. We'll see what Wisconsin's made of. You know, they're obviously going to keep trying to run the ball. That's what they do. Um, and we'll see what they're made of in that last game, but that's got to be the game for sure. Uh, I couldn't agree more, Ryan. I feel like just that – I feel like with the whole COVID situation that Wisconsin's going through, once they once they figure it out, you really want to see what they look like because you have they have two stud quarterbacks now with Mer- Graham Mertz and Jack Cohn. You have two 1A and 1B, like, starters for, their, for that right. squad, and then – you know, they're the one team that I, I know their identity. They're going to pound you. They're going to – they're just going to run you until you've given up, run it down your throat. Yeah. So, I feel like that's a very interesting uh, different uh, lack of uh, strategies there with the uh, ground and pound of Wisconsin with the spread in Ohio State. Let's transition now to around the, some other conferences, touch upon a couple components here. Uh, definitely the biggest upset of the weekend in my, uh, was Oklahoma State going down 41-34 to Texas. Uh, I feel Oklahoma State, they gave that game away. Four critical turnovers that led to 21 Texas points. That ended up being a critical difference in there, trying to be able to win that game. And then especially at the end, Oklahoma State had the ball down at the 20-yard line. Spencer Sanders ended up trying to run and get a first down. He ended up coming short instead of trying to take two shots to the end zone, which forced them to kick that field goal. I feel like they definitely had a chance to win that game at the end, but I feel like their uh, management down in the red zone was a little bit suspect there. 
and I feel like the Big 12's done, in my opinion. Uh, they don't. I feel like they don't. Their shot of the playoff is now gone. Oklahoma State was our last chance. You have Texas with two losses. You have Oklahoma State now with a loss. Iowa State has multiple losses. Oklahoma's got multiple losses. Kansas State ended up losing this past weekend in a, uh, to West Virginia, getting routed by West Virginia. Is the Big 12 done, Ryan? I think it is. I think it definitely is. And, and what a, what a gut. I know Rutgers is out They're They're on their way now. Rutgers is on their way, but what a gut punch last week was you see Chris Ash get the final stop there to upset, uh, to upset Oklahoma state. And then, you know, Rutgers, uh, they don't get that, that lateral thing to, uh, to, you know, make their game interesting at the end there. That was, that was a gut punch for them. But, uh, I think, I think the big 12 is done. I mean, I can't believe Oklahoma state lost that game. You know, you have, you have such a, uh, I wouldn't say an advantage on paper, but you have Chubba Hubbard and um, you can just establish a run game. And you look at all the, all the teams that have scored on Texas this year. You know, I'm surprised that, that Oklahoma really just didn't blow them out of the water last week you know, with how explosive their offense can be. And uh, you're right. You know, the Big 12 is done. I can't believe Oklahoma lost those two games to begin the year. There's just certain things that are just amazing right now uh, with that conference. Yeah, I agree. Especially, and I feel like, that was a – for Texas, though, Todd Herman saved his job. Yes. I feel, I feel like that was a huge win. Especially with last week with all the – especially leading up into the week, he had, what, three or four, four or five-star recruits, including the number one overall recruit, Lee. They, they took away their uh, – Yeah, there's, there's kids there's kids decommitting. Yeah, he had a lot of decommitments last week. I feel like that at least held on to his job and let the – Kept, he definitely kept some more commitments and potentially could reel back in those decommits. It's highly unlikely, but he's got, he's got an opportunity now to potentially do that. Um, what do you see? What are you seeing in Todd Herman, especially with uh, Ellinger and all that, especially what is, what is Texas at the moment? Are they just a mediocre football team? I think, I think that's how I, I see him. Cause you know, you see how good their offense can be, and then their defense gets up a big player. Their offense makes a mistake, and then their defense makes a big play. So it's really a mixed bag right now. I think they have a lot of talent that just needs to kind of gel a little bit. And I think the, the bar was set a little too high for them this offseason, but I think they're going to figure it out. I mean, we, we've been saying that for, like, how long now with Texas? Oh, they're, they're going to they're, – they're close. Since they're, Mac Brown left. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And – yeah, man, I, I think it's I think it's going to take some time, but they're they're going to figure it out. They're they're recruiting like they used to. I think that's the big thing. They're they're recruiting really well, so I think they're going to, you know, it's going to take some time. But look at the step back Oklahoma's taken and um, Oklahoma State right now. Obviously, that's that's a devastating loss that can that can ruin your season. So we'll see what they become. But the Big Twelve is a total is a total crapshoot right now. Who knows what to expect the rest of the way. And right now, you, unbelievably, Texas is third in their state. Would you, could you believe right. that? Yeah, like, like TCU beat them head-to-head -head already. And Gary Patterson, as soon as they've entered the Big 12, they have had Texas's number. It is ridiculous. Like, they couldn't beat them before they entered the Big 12, and now they can't lose to Texas, which is absurd. And you have Texas A&M out of the ACC. They've, I feel like Jimbo Fisher has finally turned the corner there with them a little bit, which is uh, crucial. And then, I mean, Baylor, Baylor's a wash at this point. But still, you're, and based off of who you're playing and who you're beating, they're third in, in their state, which is a little absurd there. As I mentioned, transitioning uh, to 
Texas A&M. A little bit look at the SEC here. Alabama, as always, dominant. Being a Mississippi State team that has just fallen apart. But I feel like we were too high on them, especially after realizing how I think how bad LSU is, how bad LSU is this year. I just want to get your take, Ryan, on uh, for who's who do you think is the team to challenge Alabama after they've already blown out A and M, so and they they beat Georgia convincingly. Who's who's the biggest component? They're not going to play Texas A and M again, so it's going to be Georgia or potentially a Florida team. What do you th- what do you see here? Yeah, no, and you actually going back to uh, to Texas. Texas Tech took them down to the wire too. So I know another they team could easily could've... lost to that team. They could be fourth in their own state. Oh, exactly, but uh, yeah, to, to to challenge Alabama, I'd have to say it's still Georgia. And we, we talked about it before. I think it's a a different Georgia team in years past because their offense is is even worse. And that's saying something because you had Fromm, who was pretty much you know when you look up game manager in the dictionary, that's you know, Jake Fromm's picture comes up. Uh, Jacob Beeson was, was okay. You know, I would say the offense was a little more explosive with him, you know, in the, in the few games we saw with that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it really comes down to can Georgia score points. And in a conference that's really starting to pick up offensively, you look at the turnaround Florida has offensively. I mean, Florida can score 50 on every given day. And, and you look at – obviously, LSU's taking a step back, but you saw what, what they did last year offensively. They're probably the best offensive team in college football history. And yeah, so this, this conference that's really been all about, and they obviously bring in Mike Leash, you know, into this, into this, uh, this conference and, you know, in a conference that's been all about defense to have this kind of offensive wave is crazy. And Bam has always shown that ability, like even in previous years, like McCarron's put up 50 and, and, you know, Greg McElroy, you name it, you know, all their previous quarterbacks have shown the ability to score points. And, you know, we got to see something from, from Georgia, but I think it's got to be them. It's got to be them. And, and I know, Ryan, we talked about this before we came on. And how, many, um, how, many, how many times did they just, just collapse against Bama? Like Georgia has a oh lead in their, in their meeting and they collapse. So it's, 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 their, it's in their DNA now. I feel like that's their new, their new hurdle to overcome. I feel like they have to either come back from behind and win or they need to figure out how to win from start to finish because, like, them getting in front has not worked well for them so far. And I know we um, – and what, last week you can only put up 14 on Kentucky? 14 on Kentucky. Like, right. they – Kentucky – and Kentucky cannot score for their life and they were somehow in that football game. Like, Kentucky has no offense whatsoever at the moment. Like, it's just – it doesn't make it – it makes absolutely no sense – and we mentioned this before uh, in, a little, in our little meeting here. Why haven't they gone to JT Daniels from USC? I'm, I'm a West Coast guy. I've seen him up close. Like, that kid can make every throw. Every throw. Yeah, no, he, his, ceiling, his ceiling is, is very, very high. And, and like, like I talked about, you know, you're talking about teams that can score points. He's the type of kid who can, who can keep you in games. And it's really puzzling what George is doing with their quarterbacks, you know. JT Daniels, he's a five-star. He's on the bench. And then you got the, the kid Carson Beck and, and the other kid, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, another four-star. They're bringing in Brock Vandegrift next year. You're wondering, like, what, what are they doing with these quarterbacks? Here? You know, why is Stenson Bennett in the game over these kids? And it, it's just really puzzling, especially after last week, 14-3 to against Kentucky. You've got to think about making a change. And uh, 
And Kirby Smart, he's a great coach, but he's, he's got to figure out a way to, to get more out of his quarterback position. It's always been a problem. It's always been a problem. And, we, and we've already seen what Dewan Mathis can do, and that was brutal. Right, 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 he right, played, right, right. played against Arkansas. Like, he doesn't need – I feel like the component of Jaylee, uh, Jamie Newman opting out has really just thrown that quarterback carousel through, through the window. Don't you agree there? Especially him coming over from Wake Forest. You thought you had a solid guy. You knew what he, you knew he had. You knew what you were getting from him. He's got arm talent. He can run. I feel like him opting out has really just put through Kirby Smart a curveball there that he was not ready for. Right. You know, it's it's interesting because because uh, he was supposed to be the guy. He was supposed to step in. But I mean, you even look back and and Kirby you're not even sure that they may be able to handle that correctly because Kirby picked from over, over Justin Fields. I mean, <laughs> look at, look at that decision that he made there. And I was blanking on, on Mathis before I, I would even take him over Stetson Bennett right now. I mean, like last week should be just huge red flags, huge red flags about your offense. And you know, if you want to, if you want to take down Georgia in that SEC championship game, I think that's, that's still going to be the matchup. You know, I, I don't believe Florida can beat Georgia. Uh, and as that, good as they play. The, they play this week, so that's they play right. this week. So that's going to be huge. A couple of big games this weekend. Right. I, I think that I'd still give Georgia the edge there, and it's going to come down to that last game, like it always does every year, just like Ohio State, Wisconsin, and it's always that that classic conference championship matchup, and they got to figure it out at the quarterback position. That's that's Georgia's hurdle to pass. What now? Five years. Yeah, and I think. From what I've seen from Bennett, he's got way too low of an arm angle for his height. His arm angle's really right. low. He's got like almost like that side arm or like your your drop down to the three quarter release point, and that's he's get he he's hitting linemen in the back of the head sometimes on those crossing patterns. Right, and you look you look at a kid like Baker Mayfield. You know he would he's small, but he would at least stand tall in the pocket, and and he doesn't throw like three quarters. He throws over the top, and it's just really. Georgia's just got to figure it out offensively. That team, that team recruits too. Look at the receivers they have. I mean, that team recruits too well, and and, and has too many has too many big play kids to to do what they're doing offensively. They got to figure it out. Um, yeah, what do you think about the rest of that conference? I mean, are you are you a believer in Auburn? Absolutely not. Especially after Bo Nix going at everybody on his team when he's making the making the mistakes. Right. Like, they, I think, I think. They they dominated LSU, which I was surprised by. Because I'm, try, I'm trying to think of another team besides I, Georgia I, and Florida. I, I can't I, – Texas A&M is not going to be able to play them again, but I thought they would be the – there's that's I would pick them. So I feel like they've kind of figured it out after that Bama game. They've started to show some offensive firepower. I think Al- – like, you're not going to stop Alabama. You need to be able to go possession for possession with them. At this point, I feel like, and Devontae. Right. We didn't even mention. We didn't even mention Lane Kiffin, offensively. Oh, and, and he and he was he had a chance, and he was right. the best one to have a chance to beat them. Like with the exception of Georgia and Kentucky, you look at every team in that conference, and you're just wondering, like, what the heck is Georgia doing offensively? But what were you saying about Devontae Smith? And you, I was just saying that Devontae Smith has finally just taken in that I'm the dude. That dude, right? Like you throw me the ball anywhere on the field, and I will, I'll beat. Like he was beating double coverage this past week. 
Mac Jones was just throwing it up to him, and he was saying, go get it, fella. Well, do you, like, how big of a loss do you think Waddle's going to be? I think it'll be big in the playoff. I think right, I think be, that I agree. No, it's, it's eventually going to catch it's, up to them. It'll catch up to them. Maybe in that SEC championship game, you'll see glimpses. But I feel like up until that point, there's no – they're in a league of their own, and Mac Jones is the front runner for the Heisman right now. He's playing – He's putting up better numbers than Burrow did last year. Think about that. Yeah. Which is crazy. In a shortened season. In a shortened season. He's putting up better numbers. And I said it before with those with those Bama quarterbacks. Each it's just a lineage. Each one finds a way to put up they could put up a fifty burger any any given day. Yeah. Every single one. And I'm I'm interested to see what happens there uh, with Georgia and Florida. I want to see if, if there is if there is a change at quarterback. I don't think there will be. Ben, ben, it'll get the start this weekend. Yeah. If they're down at the half, he'll make a change. But if they're not, if they're within, like, if they're down two possessions at half, they'll, they'll change quarterbacks. But if not, but he won't. Right. Because his defense is just too good. He knows his defense will give him a chance. And he needs one, one drive from this, literally two drives probably in a, in a game from his offense and hope they've got a great chance of winning. Right. But I feel like we're going to learn a lot about Florida, though. I think we're going to learn a lot, especially after they had their big game against Texas A&M and they couldn't, couldn't uh, match up. So I think we're going to learn more about Florida this week than we are about Georgia. I, right. like we no, have Florida I think Georgia's going to defend. Georgia's going to defend this week. That's my thing. Like, I want to see if, I want to see if Florida's offense can win that battle against Georgia's defense. Because you know that Georgia's defense is going to show up. They're going to bring it. I, I want to see what, what, uh, what Florida's offense can do. Absolutely. Against okay. against probably, you know, their toughest opponent in in the regular season, I would say. Yeah. I think this this is Florida's this is Florida's game if they wanna this is their this is their championship game before the championship game for them. So right. we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, but lastly we're gonna touch up on our last little college football subject here. Um so I'm going to actually throw you a little bit of a curveball here. So what do you think? Um, is there a better chance of a group of five team, a, not, a non-Power 5 school, getting into the playoff or a Pac-12 squad, especially with the Pac-12 on a shortened season? What would you go there? You have Cincinnati and BYU. Both of them are in the top 10. Then you have a Coastal Carolina and a Marshall who are also in the top 15. But um, then you have Oregon or a potentially – Right. No, I, I, believe, I believe in Oregon. You believe in Oregon? I believe in Oregon. Yeah, I, I think what I think they've definitely flipped the script on the crystal ball. I mean, I, I think if they won uh, against Auburn, what was it last year in that opener? I think their season could have went a lot differently. Or was that the year before? I think it was. Was it last year? I think it was last year. Yeah, it was right. last year because I would have won a lot of money if they ended up winning that game. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, I think their season would have went differently if they won that game and. and uh, you know, all of a sudden, this this program's got expectations again, like they used to have. So, I'm thinking Oregon's got a shot. I mean, maybe Cincinnati. I can't see a Coastal or, or a Marshall or BYU. Final. No, I, I don't think Coastal or Marshall have enough. They don't. They're not playing anybody. So I think that's yeah. they're out. But um, I don't know, man. BYU's got Boise State this week. That like that's, and if if they can, I think they have a chance if they beat Boise State like convincingly. Like by if they win like by t- two uh, by double digits, you know what I mean. Or if they and then if they can reschedule that Army game, 
they got to get that Army game back after being postponed due to COVID. If they can get that game somehow back on the schedule, I think that could potentially do enough because by the end of the year, I think Army will be ranked again when they play. So I right. I, Army probably won't lose another game, in my opinion, based on their schedule alone. So, yeah, no, my whole, thing, my whole thing with Cincinnati is that, like, because there's always been that UCF discussion, like, okay, like, it's, like, it's a good American team good yeah. enough to be to be in that playoff and now it's Cincinnati in that role and it's interesting I mean I, I just I, I can't like if Georgia I think even a two loss Georgia is better than than an unbeaten American team I really do like that, that's just how yeah. I feel I think we're going to see that before we see an American team in the playoff a two loss team in the playoff I just don't know I think Pickle, Pickle's going to land a big time job in this offseason I feel like I feel like it's almost like a lock yeah, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you, and it was there was there's been discussion about it, and well, it looked like he was going to be at, at Michigan State for a minute there, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he was in the final round, and then he opted back to go. He, he, I think he turned it down. I think he went back to Cincy, and then Tucker was the second guy. Right, right. I think from what I from what I've read, but um, I, they're the only one that can play defense in that conference. <laughs> we are. We all we all know those. Those uh, those uh, non power five schools, they just love shootouts. Like the Sun Belt, oh, yeah. the Fun Belt, like all that stuff. Like they're not even like they just know they're just known for shootouts. <laughs> well, the the game that really told me like wow, like this like this kind is really unhinged is is UCF Memphis. Do you remember that one where where UCF missed the field goal, a ten regulation there? And I mean, when have you seen UCF get blitzed like that? offensively by by a team in that conference I mean it just it just doesn't happen with, with how good that program's been so you know it, I'd like to see a team like Cincy or someone like that make it, it would make it fun but I, I just resume wise I don't think it it it's gonna ever work out for a team in the American yeah you'd have to you have to schedule like a ridiculous no. I mean, it can't happen this year it obviously can't happen this year because of you know what's going on they would have had to have like scheduled Ohio State and then Right, exactly, and 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 good luck winning that game if you if you schedule it. <laughs> All right. So, do you think do you think they should have gone to eight this year? I think this was the year to go to eight. This was the chance to try it. You know, I never really thought of it that way, and I think I think you're right. You know, with especially just, with all the the power, non the non power five schools being right there now, they got two in the top ten. Right, and in a shortened season where you know you're not exactly weeding out all the good teams, you're. Re- Beating out, I'd say like 80, 90 percent of them. But there's there's some teams where their season's so short, and where like, hey, you know, like what what if Indiana only has one loss, you know, the rest of the year, and they're like just on the outside. Yeah. So. I think we'll, I, we'll figure it out. I think it's eventually going to happen, but this this would have been a good experiment year, I think. Yeah, I feel like it probably won't happen. Eight eight's inevitable. I feel like at this point, you're going to yeah. take the top the Power Five conference champs. So like that's where you're going to start seeing two loss, potentially a two loss. Right. Uh, oh, for sure, for sure. Get in, and then definitely you'll see like three. It'll be like three. Um, trying to say like, well, how do they do it? The three top three next best teams, basically. Yeah, Notre Dame will find a way to get in. You'll get like uh like the two loss team, like you mentioned, and then like a, an American team probably. That's that's when it'll come through for them, but. Like you said, it, it, this would have been a good little experiment year, and I don't think it would have mattered because those those seven, obviously, like the one and 
two seeds in the playoff are going to say, oh, like we don't want to play a seven or eight seed. And like it wouldn't matter because they would, you know, like Bama would beat Cincy this year by 40. I mean, that's just, yeah, that's just what would happen. But uh, you'd like to see them in, you know, they're, if you go unbeaten, you definitely deserve discussion. Um, and I feel like the UCF, that UCF team has finally, I think, put that on notice. I don't think them claiming themselves as national champs has finally given a little bit of them warranted a little bit of that discussion, I feel. Do you agree there? I feel like that, that they've earned it after them claiming that national championship. Even though it probably wasn't the right thing to do, I feel like it was the benefit for the non-Power 5 schools. Yeah, it was, they, were, they were a voice for, you know, the schools that have, are, are at risk of getting gypped like they got gypped. So yeah. um, I don't think they would have beaten in Ohio State or Bama, you know. Who did they, they beat in that game? They beat Auburn, was it? They beat Auburn, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what and I they thought. Barely, and they barely beat them. Right, right. No, like, I mean, it was and a they, huge and win. They had, and, yeah, huge win, but they had to play perfect to beat them. Like, exactly. They had, they had a pick six. They had a couple other turnovers just for them to even have a chance to win that game. Right, and I think it was uh, Griffin who made a big play in that game too, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, – yeah, I mean, look, it was a big, it was a big day for that program and uh, a big day for the non-power fives. But I mean, I think it's got to be eight teams for one of those, one of those uh, guys to get in. Absolutely. All right. So I know you're my college football guy, but my last segment is usually just giving a little bit of a Thursday night football pick. It's gonna be really quick this week. Um, it's Green Bay versus San Francisco. It was just announced like. Uh, Yesterday, Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle are going to at least miss at least four to six weeks. They could potentially – their season – I think the Niners' season is over. Um, this is going to be a statement game for Green Bay, especially after being manhandled by San Francisco last year physically and then getting physically beaten down by Minnesota uh, yesterday. Uh, I mean, not yesterday, but on Sunday. So I'm, I'm going to take Green Bay minus five here. This is a statement game for Aaron Rodgers. They need to play extremely well. And that Niners defense, the team's depleted. And Green Bay getting five, like, I'm taking that there. I don't know, Ryan, if you wanted to give a little input on the, a little bit of the NFL. What do you yeah, think? No, sure. you, know, you know I watch the NFL. You I know, know I know. More about the NFL. I know, you're my uh, college so football my... guy, though, so I wanted to make it's sure fine. that it was okay. No, I, exactly. No, I watched the NFL <laughs> enough to, to, you know, be able to, you know, give my input on lines and stuff like that. And I was a happy camper last week watching Dalvin Cook destroy Green Bay. Uh, he's on my fantasy squad. Oh no, I was so, I was the vic- I was a victim of Dalvin Cook last week. Uh, <laughs> it, it happens to everybody. I was a victim of Tyler Lockett last week. So, um, and I, that, I was up by like a bunch going into that game. So that was oh, bad. That was a bad loss. But uh, I do think that Green Bay handles them. I, I'm interested though because you know of all the injuries that have happened to to the Niners, their offensive line is pretty healthy. And that's the group that manhandled Green Bay in the NFC Championship game last year. So I'm interested to see if they can establish a run game and, and figure out a way to make this thing close. But Green Bay knows what's coming. Green Bay is going to put like eight, nine guys in the box and, and dare them to run the ball and, and dare Mullins or Bethard, whoever they use, uh, to put it in the air. And I think that Green Bay's offense is going to come to life a little bit and I would take Green Bay. I think they'll win by, you know, 10 to 14 points. So the laying the five should be, you know, not a problem. I think, I think Green Bay is going to wake up this week. And I feel like they have to, because especially they didn't go any after anybody over the deadline yesterday. They didn't go get that wee receiver that everyone thought they would try and go get, which was a little bit of a surprise in my opinion. Um, 
But Ryan, I want to thank you for coming on today. It was great having you. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, stay in touch, my man. Yeah, for sure, man. Glad, uh, glad you're doing all the, uh, you know, the, the SHU carousel, I'll, I'll call it, you know, our old gang from back, uh, from back in school. Yeah, and it's just nice, you know, we're able to like hang out, talk a little bit of sports for a little bit, which is nice, and which is cool. And then um, last thing for everyone, again, today's the day of the election. Please go out and vote. Uh, I know uh, this is an opportunity for everyone to get their voice heard, so go out and vote. Um, this is this was your Tuesday edition of uh, Final Whistle. Um, check out me on Friday with another episode. All right. Again, Ryan, thank you for for coming on. Absolutely, Blaine. Thank you. All right. Have a good day, everyone.